The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome, welcome, welcome everybody. Such a great thing to be able to practice together. So thank you to come and be here. So I recently just finished teaching a loving-kindness retreat and it was quite something. It was very tender, as you might imagine. But a number of people at the end commented that they don't usually necessarily do loving kindness and they thought, well, they would do this retreat to kind of maybe get their practice going. And at the end of the retreat, they were wondering, wow, why didn't I do this earlier? <laughs> why didn't I do this you know, earlier in my practice? Because even though I've been doing all these wisdom and insight and mindfulness, just noticing that having a container of warmth, somebody described it as kind of having this golden sheen to everything, all the practices, makes a difference, makes a real difference. And so I was reflecting a little bit about this idea of, you know, what is practice? How do we think about practice? And so tonight I'd like to talk a little bit about one way, not the only way, one way we can think about practice in kind of a simplified, generalized way. And to be sure that there are I'm, I'm like moving towards simplification in this talk, and to be sure, there's ways in which we could really get into the weeds and make it, you know, complicated, maybe if that's the opposite of simple. And sometimes I like to do this, but... But sometimes it's helpful just to be reminded, oh yeah, there's a big forest here, not just the trees. So... Why is it helpful to sometimes think about simplifying practice is if we find ourselves feeling a little bit stuck, like, I don't know, like a dryness, a, I'm not sure where this is going, I'm not feeling inspired, I'm doing it because I feel like I ought to, or this is what I have been doing or something. But if we feel maybe a little bit of stuckness or dryness, Maybe that's perfectly fine, and that's just a part of the season of practice. But also maybe there's a way in which we can look at it in this kind of simplified way and might see if there's a way in which we might look at things a little bit differently that can provide a support for practice. So I'm using this word practice. What do I, what do I mean by that? I would say the way that I'm defining Buddhist practice as this general, something that supports the movement towards greater understanding, either of ourselves or of others or kind of how the world works or doesn't work as the case may be, or this general movement towards greater ease or peace or happiness. 
or a greater diminishment maybe of suffering. So this elimination of suffering, letting suffering go. So this movement towards understanding, ease, and less suffering in some kind of broad brush. So this real simplified way is to think about there are two types of practices. One is cultivation practices in which we're creating, maybe not creating as much as building or developing or supporting something to become a little more steady or reliable or stronger cultivation practices. And then on this side, in this simplified way, we can think about letting go practices, shedding, releasing, renouncing, letting go. So on one side, we're kind of like building up, making stronger, maybe bigger, we might use those kind of language. And the other side, we're letting go, kind of shedding, and it's kind of a a different uh, type of movement. And to be sure, we need both types of practices, kind of this cultivation and this letting go. And one way we might understand it is in um, Suzuki Roshi's very famous saying, I don't know how many times I've heard this, many, perhaps you guys have as well. He has this quote, each of you is perfect the way you are, and you could use a little improvement. Kind of this, we might think of it as a paradox, but in one way that we might understand it too is each of you is perfect as the way that you are. It's maybe an invitation to let go of anything that makes you think otherwise. And you could use some improvement is to cultivate those qualities or those properties. Properties doesn't sound quite right, but those qualities, mind states, experiences that can really be a support. So this recognition that this uh, interrelationship or the dependence on both types of these practices, but it's not uncommon for people to have a preference for one type or the other. And sometimes it has to do with an aversion towards one type or the other. For example, this whole idea of cultivating, building, developing might feel like exhausting. Like I'm already exhausted from my life. The last thing I want to hear about is something that needs to be done more. Something to the addition of. It's the last thing I want. No, thank you. I just want to sit quietly. Or there could be this um, sense that they find it feels a little bit offensive even to imagine that something needs to be different. I'm perfect the way that I am, and I just the whole rest of the world needs to start behaving itself. How dare you kind of suggest that I need to cultivate something? So those people tend to prefer kind of this idea of letting go, or they might use language like letting be. But there's also kind of this sense of, well, I don't want to do letting go uh, practices because I'm just barely hanging on. And I'm, it has everything I, it takes everything I got just to hang on. And you're suggesting I let go, but I, that's not, it's not even, that's exactly what I don't want to do. 
Or there might be this idea that everything seems so slippery. So this whole idea of letting go, but they're feeling like, I can't even hold on to anything. What do you mean, let go? Nothing is, everything is sliding away. There's nothing that I can hold on to. And different people, different seasons of their practice, different times of their practice might kind of have a preference or one in which they find a little bit more ease or comfort or that just naturally arises. So this recognition that both are needed and there may be times in which we um, are going more one direction than another. And also, I'm making this distinction between cultivation and letting go, but let's be honest, it's maybe entirely artificial to make this distinction also because in some ways they are the same. The obvious ways we could look at the practice of generosity. We think of it as a cultivation practice, but generosity itself is a letting go. So we're cultivating and letting go at the same time. That's an obvious example when they're are indistinguishable, these two qualities. But there's another way in which we could even say with mindfulness practice. We cultivate mindfulness, being here in the present moment and with the experience, but at the same time, in order to do that, we're letting go of all the ways in which we intentionally distract ourselves. So this idea of cultivation and letting go and separating them, you know, sometimes is useful and sometimes isn't. But this, to say a little bit more about what does it mean, this idea of uh, cultivation practices, that there are many parallels between cultivating the mind, cultivating the heart, and cultivating a garden. And one thing is, of course, that we just don't think about seeds being planted and watered. (laughs) We actually do it. Right? So it's not only about believing or thinking or wishing or something about that, but it's it's an activity, a certain type of activity. And cultivation practices are very much like planting seeds. We plant them and we give them what they need without explicitly making them grow. Right? Seeds have the potential to grow inside them. We're not giving them that potential. It's already there. And we're just creating the, content, the conditions in which that potential can be actualized. In the case of plants, sun, soil, nutrients, water. In the case of our practice, attention, intention, and a willingness to allow things to unfold in the way that they're going to unfold, instead of insisting that they be a particular way. So this recognition that we're just taking care of the conditions rather than the specific making them grow. 
And I think all of us recognize that depending on what we value, we will cultivate different things. Because no matter what we do, we're cultivating something with this idea of neuroplasticity. So if we have this habit of uh, getting filled with outrage when we hear or see or read the news or something like this, right? And then it just, the more time we spend in outrage, the easier it becomes to become outraged. I'm not saying that these um, emotions or ideas aren't appropriate, but I think we all know this, that whatever the mind frequently ponders upon, that becomes the inclination. So not only the mind, but the heart and the emotions. And so, of course, the Buddha encouraged us to cultivate those things that are going to be helpful, that are going to lead us towards this happiness and greater understanding and less suffering. And chances are that you don't need me to tell you this idea that the Buddha encouraged us to cultivate ethical actions, to behave in the world in a way in which we don't cause harm, neither to ourselves nor to others. And sometimes that's not so easy. So it requires us to see if there might be some creative way in which we can work with something in which there really isn't harm being caused also requires us to be sensitive to maybe some of the subtle ways in which harm gets caused with our words, with our language. And the Buddha also talked about, maybe before I leave this idea of um, causing harm, not causing harm, I'll add this, also to become sensitive to the ways in which the ways the inner critic sometimes rises up and causes harm for you know the way that sometimes we talk to ourselves or some of the language or you know berate ourselves turns out not to be so helpful and harmful the buddha of course also called encouraged us to cultivate a steady mind so that we can see more clearly, so that we can see what's happening and see the consequences of our actions. Just allowing the mind and the body to settle. These days it seems so often that there's these um, prompts to get a little bit agitated in some kind of way. I'm using this word agitated really broadly, but it seems like um, we've created a world in which we're often like poked, if you know, notified, and or you know, somehow there's this way in which we get to. I'm using this word poked. Sometimes it feels like that. <laughs> Maybe you have a better word, but. Um, you know, there's, you know, the media, of course, wants to promote this way of outrage too, right? So, this idea of to cultivate a steady mind in the face of this recognition, right, that there are industries out there who are 
created specifically to keep us agitated in some kind of way. The business models of there's these aren't bad individuals. It's just this recognition that what they are promoting isn't necessarily for our long-term welfare and happiness to sensationalize or to notify or incessantly. Buddha encouraged us also to cultivate a warm heart. So a steady mind and a warm heart. So with Brahma Vihara practice, loving kindness practice, and it's the beautiful part about this, it's not only to cultivate a sense of warm-heartedness, but also to have this uh, movement towards uh, the boundlessness of this warm-heartedness, so that it's not just for those we know and care about, those who are we feel the most comfortable with or are most familiar, but to cultivate this way with this boundlessness for all beings everywhere. And this does take cultivation. It's not something that humans naturally do. And this idea to also, with the loving kindness and all the Brahmagaharas, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, also this unconditionality. Is there a way that we can express this without having any sense of whether people were or deserve it or not. Taking that out of the equation, just saying, no, this is, this is what this heart does. This heart loves. This heart cares. This heart has warmth, independent of all the specifics, the particulars of the individuals. And then, of course, you know, the Buddha has all these lists seven factors of awakening, ten paramis. Like, there's, like, seems like there's no end to the things that we can be developing and cultivating. And, but we can get out of balance if we emphasize this cultivating part. And I know this has happened to me in my practice. Like, unknowingly, I felt like, okay, Buddhist practice kind of supported this self-improvement project that I wasn't even quite so aware of. And so, yeah, i got to cultivate this and this and this and all these handy lists that I never could quite check off, right? We can easily fall into that kind of a mind state or understanding of practice. And to be sure, there are plenty of sutta passages and... Uh, teachings that are about the importance of effort and diligence. But it might be a way in which we just take that on. It's like, yes, I'm never going to be finished. This is a huge project. (laughs) I have to keep on working. And let's be frank, we are a pragmatic and goal-oriented culture. That we like to put effort into our jobs, our relationships, our vacations. Recently I've learned this expression, you know, to have relationship goals. You know, like, so there's all these (laughs) ways, things, you know, that we're supposed to achieve in like all areas of our lives. Which is great, there's nothing wrong with that, with having a vision of what's possible and a 
orientation of a direction we want to go. But outside of kind of the Buddhist practice and outside of the meditation circle, there can be a sense of, well, just try harder. If you haven't reached all these goals or haven't accomplished all these things that um, we might have these expectations about, Try harder, just try harder. Oh, ouch, right? This is exhausting. It seems like there's no end. So there's all this cultivation, and that is a part of practice, but we can get out of balance. And we might think that we just have to try harder and strive and strain. But then we end up kind of like, tight and I'm going to do this with my body because it's kind of how it feels and then everything feels you know has this flavor of inadequate and not enough and need more so instead we might have I need more effort I need to put more energy in I have to try harder Without looking at it, well, maybe there's a different type of effort, a different type of activity, and that is the letting go, kind of the releasing, as opposed to acquiring and building, instead this movement of letting it go. So there might be some, if we call letting go, like leap, relinquishment or giving up or something like that, that sounds uh, a bit uncomfortable. It can sound like a renunciation or surrender, which can sound like deprivation. Like that's not the direction people want to go. They don't want to feel deprived, of course. And that's not the direction we're going. We're not going towards in a way that has this personal diminishment or in a way that suggests any type of weakness that we just have to let go because we're not able to hold on or something like that. No, it's something different. It's about a, more like a, a shedding, just in the way that snakes shed their skin when they grow and during the different seasons that animals shed fur and birds molt feathers. It's like, oh, it's just a natural thing to be letting go. It's kind of like this natural process. And sure, we can see that maybe animals are scratching a little bit when <laughs> that fur is molt, uh, shedding and the birds, or when they're molting, sometimes are preening a lot. To... So there can be a little bit of uh, uncomfortableness, but still this recognition, like, oh, yeah, this is the direction we're going. And something that I like is this story that's uh, in the Vinaya about Ananda, the Buddha's attendant. And after the Buddha died, they got together, they being the senior members of the Buddha's followers, all the fully awakened senior members, to recite the teachings to get together like okay what what did the buddha say we have to preserve these pass it on to different generations and ananda of course 
was the one that had memorized them all because he was the attendant of the Buddha. But he wasn't awakened completely. And this was only for awakened people. So what was he going to do? So the evening before this big grand meeting, he's huffing and puffing and striving and straining to get awakened. And all of us have tried to huff and puff and strive and strain too, I think, right? This is just part of the way we tend to approach practice. But So he meditated strenuously and, and just nothing happened. So I gave up. I went to bed. Sat down on this bed. This is how the story goes. And lifted his feet up to put it in bed. And before his head had hit the pillow, this big release when he became awakened. So it was when he'd kind of relaxed, had given up this idea that things have to be a particular way, was maybe straining and striving and said, okay, I just can't do it and let go. And became awakened. And I hear about this a lot on retreats and myself, I've had this experience too that sometimes during the retreat, you know, sit, walk, sit, walk, you know, for days and days of sitting and walking and people can get really tight and they'd be trying so hard. And sometimes retreats are really hard. There's maybe something about there's the transition of, you know, finally the bell rings at the end of the sit, like, oh my gosh, okay, I made it. And then they go to stand up and just in that moment of kind of relaxing with the standing up, there may be something that, oh, a new understanding that happens. So this recognition of letting go is just a natural thing that happens. And sometimes it happens just during the transitions. We're not making it happen. It's just a an unguarded moment allows the mind and the heart to open in some kind of way. And to be sure, we let go all the time in daily life. We, we change plans. The weather is now raining. We're not going to have a picnic. Our, through our life, our preferences have changed. I used to hate ketchup when I was a kid. Ketchup is fine now. I'm sure all of us have this idea, right, of things that we didn't used to like. And we have different priorities in, in our older life that um, we didn't have when we were young. So it's just this natural thing of just letting go. And to be sure, learning to let go is a skill for a happy, healthy life. And so as part of Buddhist practice, letting go is... Not only of what makes us tight, I can't help but I do this with my body when I'm describing it because this is how it feels, but it, there's a way in which um, there's not only letting go, but also the compulsion to want to grab on in the first place. 
When we notice where have grabbed on, we can open our fist. But there's just this movement of wanting to grab on. That gets let go too. That gets softened and diminished as we practice. This sense of this enduring self that's at the center of everything and that has to be bolstered and protected and highlighted. And let go of that, let it be softened. Like, oh yeah, sometimes there's this in sense of self, but other times I'm busy with other things and there isn't a sense of self. And this recognition that it arises, it gets constituted, and then it uh, goes and does something else. So letting go of the sense of an enduring sense of self. Letting go of ideas being permanent, anything being permanent. And letting go of the idea that when things are uncomfortable, that somehow it's a terrible mistake and there's got to be an error somewhere and who's to blame for this? Suffering is part of life. And I think, unfortunately, there's only one way to really learn that is that is to have suffering. So what if we kind of reworded or relanguaged this idea of letting go? I think I, I'm not exactly sure where I heard this first. It might have been from Gil. But this idea that instead of letting go is this idea of giving up, as in up, like towards the ceiling. Because I guess the origin of this idea of giving up is like to put up on the altar. So to make a, 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 uh, an offering. In this way, it's an act of generosity. Or we might think of it that somehow maybe it's a sacred act. This, it's a movement of the heart, this idea of giving up. And in some ways, then it feels like, oh, okay, so it's in the service of what's wholesome and what's virtuous and helps support this beneficial states of mind and is in the service of creating this spiritual wealth, this inner treasure inside of us, inside of all of us. So this letting go, this giving up, is for is one way in which we help create the conditions for the seeds that we've planted with the cultivating practices to sprout and to blossom. So that we can let go into something beneficial, something supportive, wholesome, So with deepening meditation practice, and we have this greater range of what is wholesome and beautiful and meaningful, these inner states that we discover, explore, become more familiar with. And we just start to recognize, oh yeah, a little bit of letting go here allows me to tap into, tune into 
that particular state, be sensitive to that state. And letting go or giving up just becomes more and more something that the mind and the body and the heart just want to do. So one thing I do want to say also, though, about letting go, I'm describing like letting go into beneficial states, but chances are if you've had a practice, you know that sometimes this uh, letting go, we could also use this language of kind of like, I've heard this language, uh, purification cycles. So it's this sense of letting things get disgorged. (laughs) Maybe something that's, I don't know exactly what, something that, that maybe we've been holding on to for a really long time that isn't helpful, or maybe we don't even know what it is, but the sense of clearing out something uncomfortable and or this sense of discharging or maybe even vomiting up. Because sometimes practice is painful and it feels like stuff comes up and maybe gets expressed with tears or gets expressed with uh, nausea or something like this. So to be sure this letting go part can be uncomfortable. And we don't always like get to choose or dictate exactly how it happens or when it happens or which manner or something like this. So this idea of maybe sometimes it's helpful to look at our practice in a simple simplified way, cultivation, letting go. And maybe to look at it in this big ways, if we feel like we could use some support, maybe just to, is there, is there something that wants to be let go? Is there something that can be cultivated? And maybe we don't even have to know precisely the answer, but it's just the activity of asking that question. Is there something that can be let go? or something that can be cultivated. And just having that curiosity might be a way in which we can, I don't know, something new can unfold and we can become aware of to help guide us. So I offer this that may be a support for your practice and your life. this way of cultivating and letting go. Thank you.